millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh, I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you wanted? I wanted to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to one field. I'm going to see What you're doing down here, you're showing me, man. 80,8827 people. The most they've ever managed to pack into a ground to watch a Premier League match. That's a big old crowd to embarrass yourself in front of. Unfortunately, it doesn't get much more embarrassing than being hauled off by your manager barely a third of the way through the match with your team leaking goals and chances, thanks in large part to your own comically inept performance. Welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi guys. Hey Owen, how are you? Hello Owen. I'm better than Dejan Lovren this morning, Ken, I'll tell you that. Oh yeah. Poor old Lovren at Wembley Stadium yesterday. As Barney Rone put it in The Guardian, with half an hour gone, Lovren was euthanized from the pitch, wandering off straight past his manager to sit three rows back, looking utterly stunned, still in his red shirt. Has there been a worse half hour from an international standard Premier League player? Asks Barney Rone. I don't know, there have been some pretty spectacularly bad performances in the Premier League it over the years, yeah. especially at centre-back. Uh, centre-back and centre-forward, probably. They're mm. the ones that would tend to stick out in the mind, your eager stepping-off Smurf. Yeah, I'm interested to, to hear you read out the attendance at yesterday's game, because I'm not really entirely sure that they're the people I'm worried about. Mm. I mean, Igor Stepanov, sure, did make a bit of a fool of himself uh, in that game that United won, what, 6-1, Ken, mm. was it? Mm-hmm. But it kind of seems like Hmm. It was before Twitter, you know, and it was before social media. And I do kind of feel like that is, you know, the crucible where most of the most biting criticism happens. Igor Stepanovs was imagining what people were saying about him. Yeah, exactly. Dejan Lovren is hearing what people are saying. Yeah, exactly. If he wants to, if he wants to find out what the people think about him, all he has to do is type in the words Dejan Lovren. I don't think he's doing that. He seems to have gone. I'm banging off the table here, Ken. He seems to have gone dark, I think, has he? Dejan Lovren? Yeah, he, he switched off his, his Instagram comments. Not a bad idea. Um, he Maybe he, he felt he needed a bit of a safe space. Mm. Because it's, it's, it's really difficult. I'm, I feel really sorry for him, actually. He's been through a lot, a lot, really. 
I mean, if you look at what's what's happened to him on a personal level over the last while, uh, he had a few uh, marital problems, uh, which were reported in tabloid media, I, I think, which I, I, I doubt was a pleasant experience. Uh, he was in Croatia uh, having to testify in a corruption trial. Croatian football has got a few corruption problems. Um which is, again, not an easy thing to be part of, uh, sort of having to publicly testify on one side, and it's a bit uncomfortable. Uh, he also suffered a break-in at his house uh, where supposedly thieves had pumped some kind of anesthetic gas into the air system and come into the house while he was there with his uh, family. Um, again, not great. And he talked about the injury problems that he's had, which have led him to be having to take all these painkillers uh, any one of these things alone might be the biggest... Extremely stressful. Yeah, it might, might be the biggest sort of off-the-field stressor that a footballer might have to deal with all year. Many of them may go through several years without having to deal with a problem that big, and Lover's got a whole bunch of them together. And then you've got the football. Because it's, it's weird. You were telling me this morning about all of these various problems that Dejan Lover and it has in his life but even last night even without the knowledge of all of those things that you've that you've just read out i kind of felt sorry for him mm. which is a bad place to be in you know when you're when you're feeling sorry for a premier league footballer you know that things have reached a level they don't often reach yeah um so did Dejan Lovren need at that moment having been taken off after 31 minutes in front of the biggest ever premier league crowd uh, having had a disastrous performance, which could have been worse. He nearly scored an own goal as well, uh, off a rebound. Um, did he then need Jurgen Klopp to suggest that he, Klopp, a 50-year-old former striker converted centre-half, 50, could have done better than that? Did he need that? In his trainers. In his trainers. I'm not sure... I'm not sure that he did. Now, I mean, the, what what Klopp said is, is sort of interesting. I mean, immediately when I, when I saw him say this, I thought, has he really just done that? Has he really just done the Harry Redknapp on it? Harry Redknapp, when Darren Bent missed the chance for Tottenham. My wife could have stuck that in the back of the Sandra would have stuck that one away. <laughs> Darren Bent didn't like that one. Darren Bent's agent was on to Harry Redknapp almost immediately saying, I'm sorry, how dare you speak about my client that way? He wants to move away from the club now. Uh, Roy Keane, famously, uh, Craig Gordon, you know, you know, a goalkeeper shouldn't be conceding free kicks like that. Let me show you what a real goalkeeper does. Give me the goalkeeper gloves. Uh, right, all you lads, I'll give a grand to anyone who can score past me from the distance that he's let a goal in from. <laughs> but you've got to give me 100 quid if I save. 800 pounds later, Roy Keane has kept a clean sheet. <laughs> Craig Gordon, Gordon basically never speaks to him again. <laughs> you know, Keto in the book says, well, I was just trying to generate a bit of banter, but on reflection, <laughs> maybe I did belittle Craig Gordon somewhat. Says, what, what height is Roy Keane? Uh, what height is he? Yeah. 5'10", 11? Yeah, says 5'10", yeah. former midfielder. Yeah. Non-goalkeeper, non Roy Keane. Yeah, the former Dublin Gaelic footballer who was managing a club side not in Dublin walks into a dressing room at halftime and turns to the team that he's managing and says, lads, do I have to go out there and win this myself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like, mean, you can't, you can't do that, Ken. Even, even if he thought he could, 
you shouldn't say it. You, you, you shouldn't say it. Although it's it's a real, um, it's a sort of a, uh, what what do you say? I, I He didn't actually say what, he, he didn't specifically target Lovren when he said that. He was talking, he was actually talking about the situation before the first goal when the ball, when Tottenham threw it in and then played it around two or three passes and then chipped it over. He was saying we had so many players there, we should have, if I'd been there, I would have been able to boot it away. It sounded like as though he was specifically saying, I'd be better than Lovren. In which case, pick yourself. You know, if but don't say these don't say this kind of thing. This guy probably has got enough to deal with. I mean there 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 have been mistakes made. Maybe the big mistake was not replacing, you know, Lovren. Maybe that's something that, that you've got to uh that you've got to think about. Okay, non-world service members. How do you like the sound of Ireland's greatest living novelist coming into this very studio to deliver a thoroughly enlightening breakdown of the current situation in Catalonia? Sounds good. Well, we just call that a Friday on the World Service. That's the kind of stuff we're delivering for just five euro a month plus VAT. Thanks, Murph. Colm Tobin <laughs> spent several years living in Barcelona. He first moved over there just before the, a couple of months before Franco died. So he had a very, very strong grasp on, among other things, what the Catalan people are all about. If you were to mix the Dutch, um, the Swedes, uh, and um, the best uh, parts of Switzerland and get some good beaches, um, they have no interest in bullfighting. They think it's a, it's, it's absolute uh, medieval sort of brutal stuff. They have no interest um, in playing the guitar, staying up late, drinking, and making friends quickly in bars. They don't do any of those things. They associate those things with Madrid. Um, they're very good with money. Um, there's no such thing as a Catalan peasant. In, in other words, farmers own their own land. So there are no big landowners living in the city with people working on their land. That doesn't happen in Catalonia. That interview with the wonderful Colm Tobin, as well as the full archive of Ken's political podcast, is ready and waiting for you. It's a really amazing chat with Colm. Richie's going to put Shea Given in the players' chair, I believe, in the next couple of weeks as part of our extensive build-up of the World Cup playoff. These are very exciting times on the World Service. That's what I'm saying to you today. And it takes just a couple of minutes to become a member on secondcaptains.com. Ken, please report on sport. So, um, yeah, the Tottenham Liverpool, I guess, um, will be the. F- we're, we're talking later to Daniel Story and Jonathan Wilson here about that, that game. Um, I, I mean, an amazing win for Tottenham, who are emerging as the strongest other team in the division after Manchester City. I think, well, this has been the story with Tottenham over the last couple of years. Um, they've consistently been the best team over that time. They just keep having teams which are nosing ahead of them, whether it be Leicester, Chelsea, or this season, City. Um, but yeah, Harry Kane again with two goals. I mean, you know, the first goal that Harry Kane scored yesterday was kind of, you know, the the eye is obviously drawn to to Dayan Lovren freezing and looking around and thinking, what you know, what what am I doing? You know, what, he what's looking, happening? He was looking for an offside, I think. I don't think he even managed to look at the linesman though. Uh, I, I, I think I, when he I, when I'm he turned sure around, he, he actually looked. Where, where the, uh, he could he he hadn't even managed to fix the position of the linesman in his head when he looked around he was only <laughs> looking I at just, the sideline. I, I, I realized <laughs> I just said I'm pretty sure that's what he was trying to do. That's not a good sign. If you want to, if a professional footballer wants to look at the linesman, they should, should be able, able to, to execute just look at the linesman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, But but um, I mean, please to, to sort of also focus on the magnificent way in which Harry Kane leapt through the air like a whale jumping through a hoop and landed. Uh, I mean, he he put the ball away with the minimum of 
touches, which looked kind of almost impossible from for a guy of his size in this sort of position. And he manages to find a way to just sort of square that circle with, um, I mean, it's, it's actually amazing um, looking back on it. Then he's got like a Kevin De Bruyne-like pass for the uh, second goal scored by Son, uh, at which point it's hard to imagine another result other than a, um, other than a Tottenham win. Um, He'd be a good right winger, Harry Kane, wouldn't he? No, an what? old an old fashioned right winger. I'm not saying better than he is as a striker. What, sorry, what, what is it about Harry Kane that makes you think he'd he'd be an old fashioned right winger? He's what? a six foot two inch striker. Give yeah, that cross, Ken. His control cross. on the ball, his ability to get down the flanks, Ken. I think he was incredible. <laughs> Capitalising that Lovren mistake, maybe Lovren shouldn't have jumped for the ball from the Lloris throw in. Sure, mm, maybe he shouldn't have. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, the first touch from Kane, and then the little. Off he sets. One, maybe one more touch and then a whiffed cross. I, mean, I think Harry. You don't think Harry Kane would be a very good right winger? Just imagine the damage Harry Kane could do if instead of heading for the goal and scoring goals, he just headed for the byline and wanted to yeah. cut back the ball. We're talking about We're talking about before people got fancy. You know, with all these formations. Yeah. Can flat four four two right wing. No, I would, I would definitely have him as a centre forward. I mean, I, I, again, this is so one of the strangest conversations we've had. I would also have him as a centre forward. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm saying, yeah. would he make a good? If for some reason he threw a strop and said, I'm not playing centre forward anymore. Yeah, I, I don't want to score right goals wing. anymore. It's this boring. Is a, this is a bit like saying, you know, Saturn V rocket would make a good paperweight. I mean, it would. Yes. Like, it would keep it. Yeah. It would keep any amount of paper under control on your desk. Good. But is that really. Well, yeah. Dad, we're on the same page. We're all together. Yeah. Okay, come right, on. We're agreed. What were then. you saying? Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Lover. I mean, even Paul Hayward, who I would say is among the most compassionate voices uh, among the. Uh, the press pack that follows English football. He is not. He he is not a sort of. Uh, oh, Paul Hayward, here he comes again with this stiletto blade. You know whose ribs is this steel going to be flashing between? He's not that kind of guy. He's he's a positive. He tries to be positive when he can. But even Paul Hayward writes on Twitter here at Wembley. Jurgen Klopp will need a big speech at halftime, but it will probably go over Dejan Lovren's head. I mean, I thought, no, this is just... Et tu, Hayward. Et tu. Et tu. When Lovren went off, he was substitute. Uh, it was The replacement was Oxford Chamberlain. So when Lovren went off, all he heard was all the booing around Wembley. Now, the booing was for Oxford Chamberlain. He's a former Arsenal player, and they were playing at Tot- Tottenham, technically. Did it sound that way? Did it, <laughs> did it sound that way to Jason Lovren going off? And then, this idea that you get booed for just a really bad play in the Premier League—that's the only reason you ever get booed in the Premier League. Yeah, but Boo, you, know, when, you have not met our standards. When you're in that have. frame of mind, though, when when everything is going wrong, you know, when everything is going wrong, and and uh, you know, you you're not only a figure of you, you don't have just the usual professional pressures that you feel. Oh, I've I've messed things up for my team. Everyone's kind of going to be looking at me. You're also a figure of ridicule for the world. You know. Um, and then when Jurgen Klopp was asked afterwards, you know, having having made this, you know, dangerously close to I could have done it better than you statement, um, he 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 then was asked, you know, at the end, sort of, is Lovren okay? Have you have you spoken to him? And he said, No. I haven't spoken to him yet. Uh, I think he feels not good, but you know, fair enough. Nobody should be feeling good about that. So not a lot of sympathy there, you know? It's. I, I don't know where he goes from here. 
you know, it, it's I can't. Can he play again for Jurgen Klopp? Ah, oh, yeah. You think he can? Well, why not? Well, the the main argument for you know in favour of that is that uh, he signed a new contract six months ago, mm. a new four year contract. In which case, okay, <laughs> maybe they are going to have to find a way to work together. But I mean, at the moment, you know, in terms of uh, he he's always been a player who struggled to. Uh, uh, play consistently in the sense that people, I think, always are are wondering when is the mistake going to come. And now, you know, you, once you you lose credibility to a certain point, nobody can believe in you. It doesn't matter what he does, you know. He could he could play brilliantly for the next twenty matches in a row, and people would still be waiting for it to happen. And when it did, yeah. when it did, people would say, uh, you know. The reason he's still in the team at the moment, though, is because there are no other options. That's why he played even the first half an hour of the game. There there are no options, it seems, that Klopp feels are any better. So I don't see how that's going to change, at least until January. Mm. Um, Well, you know, it's interesting to see Gomez moving to centre-back now. Although, you know, again, we're talking a lot about Lovren as though he was the only one. And this is one of the things Klopp said. He said, I don't want to blame individual players, (laughs) which is a bit of a laugh. Because um, when you take a player off after 31 minutes, it's kind of a powerful statement of what you're, of what you think is happening out there. Um, but he does at the point that there are a lot of other players at fault. I mean, Mignolet obviously Mignolet is the 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 top mistake maker in the Premier League over the last five years. Well, four years rather. He's since he joined Liverpool, he's made more mistakes. I think it's 13 personal errors leading to goals, which is more than anyone else. I read that. I mean. How are we going about categorizing errors? Well, for instance, the one yesterday was one. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, I don't know pornography, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like, how do you actually... Well, it's goalkeepers only, surely, isn't no, it? You're going no, to no, the top no. of that, li- that list. No, it's, it's, it's defenders. defenders it's defenders as well, yeah. I mean, it is usually goalkeepers who are on top of the table. And, to, uh, you know, to uh, uh, if you look at Mignolet, his record was... Uh, his worst season was his first season, 2013-14, six of these, six... Uh, which <laughs> which is amazing, and seven obviously since. So he has kind of managed to iron them out, but people still expect them always because that's his that's his reputation. Uh, and there's too many of those uh, you know situations. I mean, Emre Chan, you know, this this is the other thing. Where where is the sort of the, these defenders are the ones who who are in the firing line? But where is the kind of cover? Where are the intelligent you know midfielders helping them out? You know, when they head the ball to the edge of the box, as for the Deli Alley goal, why is there no midfielder there? What is Emre Chan actually doing in this goal? Watch what he does. What's he doing? <laughs> and so he's not going to get criticized as much, but actually he probably deserves it just as much. Um, Emre Chan also did suffer at the hands of Deli Alley towards the end of the game yesterday. Something that you can maybe describe as a drag back nutmeg. Yes. Which and was probably as embarrassing as anything that happened to any of the other players on the field, including Lovren, as and an then, individual moment. And then ran after him and, and was like, oh no, I can't foul him because I already did that in the first half. I already, what, I, this already happened to me and I chopped him down that time because I could and now I can't. So I've just got to run along. <laughs> you know, He's quite quick, this Ali lad. It's and and I'm so slow. I'm so slow. Emery Chan, I mean, for a young man, really, does he not remind you of, of like, I can imagine him as a kind of a, an army colonel chomping a cigar, like a barrel-chested, a barrel-chested colonel in a beret, like special forces. He's 48 years old. Mm. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a brawny, 
fix that man. You don't want him playing fullback. Why is he playing fullback? Klopp said, oh, just, that did not work so well. No, it certainly didn't. It was, was not the only thing that didn't. Um, but yeah, uh, Harry Kane at the end, he was touching his, uh, or he, he went off and he was kind of grabbing his hamstring. They obviously play Manchester United next week. Uh, but Pochettino said he is, uh, he's actually fine. There was no problem uh, with him. So that was, uh, yeah, we'll be talking a bit in a bit more detail about that game with people who are there. What is happening at Chelsea? Um, Antonio Conte, I don't really understand what's happening at Chelsea at the moment because I don't understand why Antonio Conte should be under pressure from the club. Although that does appear to be uh, uh, what is happening. And I mean, beyond the, the basic fact that this is Chelsea and Roman Abramovich gets rid of managers, you know, he gets bored of them, wants to try some wants to try a new direction. He he has done that a, a lot in the past. You know, I I think it's always, he's always a sort of an unknown, unknown uh, quantity of Bramovich in the sense that, you know, he, he never speaks. He never, you can only judge him by things which happen. And uh, in terms of how involved he is with Chelsea at the moment, how much attention he's paying or how, whether he's still got the same impatience that he certainly had in the first half of his time there. Um, is I think open to question. You know, he's ha he also has had a few issues, personal issues going on, divorce and whatnot, uh, over the last little while, and you know, I'm not sure if it's kind of necessarily top of his priority list in the way that it, it maybe was before. But as to why you would get rid of Conte, I think they want to be very careful with this. You know, Conte. It, it strikes me that to sack Antonio Conte would be the, one of the most unpopular decisions that have been made at Chelsea since Abramovich took over. Mm. I mean, if you saw him jumping into the crowd now, <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of thing that might annoy, you know, say, say he's he's not getting on supposedly with, you know, Emma Nalo and Granovsky. It's the, it's the kind of the middle management, you know, who have a different, who, whose interests are different from his. They want to try and do things without spending an obscene amount of money, for instance. Whereas Conte is saying, I want, I want this, I want that. You know, I want all of the players. And if, and if you're not backing me, I'm the one who's, who's getting the heat. So, you know, you guys better you know, do your end of the bargain. And they're kind of trying to balance this with, you know, they're saying, well, look, you know, you can't have everything. Um, and so they might be a bit annoyed by the sight of him jumping into the crowd. <laughs> like, as as he did, it's like, look at this guy, you know, playing up to the gallery. But Now, he really jumped into the crowd. For yeah. people who missed this, he, 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 it was a dive into the crowd. Yeah, at full stretch, he was he was horizontal he, in the crowd. He was horizontal. You could just see his 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 uh, suited legs yeah, and beautiful, expensive, shiny feet, shoes, exactly sticking out. But uh, but the fact is that 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 is that's real. I don't think you can fake that. You know what I mean? Conte said afterwards, "No, I'm not worried about getting sacked. I mean, I feel pressure, but not this type of pressure. If the club decides to sack me, honestly, I don't feel this pressure. Like I don't care. Sack me if you want. I don't care. I'll get another job. You know, I'll." I don't. I don't really. I'm not going to uh, give you the satisfaction of you thinking that I'm upset by this. It doesn't matter to me. But the, I think that emotional connection is real. It's very rare. You don't see there. There are very few managers who have that. Like in in terms of the attitude of Chelsea supporters, who would you rather have? You know, this guy's any any manager who comes after him is going to feel like very sort of uh, ineffectual. Energy. Yeah, <laughs> really. Um, and I don't really understand, again, why things are, are said to be so bad at the moment. I mean, Chelsea are a team that have had a couple of 
injury issues. They're, you know, we were talking about it after their Champions League game against Roma. They drew three all with a team that scored. Dzeko scored two of the best goals of his career. You know, Roma are not a bad team. Chelsea uh, managed to come back from that. They Again, Watford are not a bad team. They just sound like a bad team. It's Watford. But look at the table. Crystal Palace are a bad team, though. Crystal Palace beat them. Crystal Palace are a really bad team, and that was a shocking... That was a really so shocking I result. think that that's the way that the rest of the week was framed, probably, that they were coming on the back of that. Certainly yeah. that was the way when you were watching it at the weekend. Are they about to suffer another defeat? Yeah. Even though it was to a team who were, as you were saying, were... First time since Ranieri, as Mercotti was telling us on Thursday's show. That, that they had lost yeah, so many in a row. Yeah. But, you know, s- sometimes these things happen. You know, a manager who... He clearly knows what he's saying. Like, do you, I mean, when you, when you think back to two years ago when, um, when they were in this spiral under Mourinho, which ended up with Mourinho um, you know, being sacked in December, I feel that this is a bit different because I don't get the same impression that sort of Conte is looking on like bitterly saying, you know, this, is, this has got nothing to do with me. Like I, f- I, f- I think he still feels this sort of intense involvement in what's happening there, like they're, they're, he's trying to turn it around. He's so he's he it doesn't be fighting the club at, at the at the top level, but while, not to the extent. Not the extent that he, of, he almost washing his hands of washing his hands of the team, which I kind of felt was was happening a couple of years ago. There was this, there was this almost well, you know, I told you how it was going to be, and this is how it's going to be, and what you expect. Mm-hmm. Whereas this time, I kind of feel as though he wants to actually he, he would like to. To keep going. I know, yeah. The basic point is, it'd be crazy to lose him. Uh, it'd be, it's madness. He came in and he won a league title when nobody was expecting it. Nobody. And you can, of course, you can apply logic after the fact and maybe question what some of the other teams are doing, but he's still, he, he's the one who got it done with them. Yeah. Uh, from whatever lowly place he finished at the end of the previous season. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, we'll wait and see. I mean, he, he says... Uh, he says he's not worried about getting sacked. A lot of reports suggesting that he, he may not be there for too much longer, but I do think they... They should be aware that if they do get rid of him, it will be unpopular, and I think rightly unpopular uh, decision to make at this point. Now, what else was going on? Huddersfield against Manchester United was a big game on Saturday. Jose Mourinho defeated by, uh, by David Wagner's team, and I just thought, how annoying must this be? You know, when you hear when you hear David Wagner, listen to him. I mean, obviously, he's friends with Jurgen Klopp. He was the reserve manager at Dortmund. You know, when Klopp was there. I have no problems to work on the extraordinary. <laughs> but we shouldn't take for granted extraordinary performances. There are three things why we've had this little bit of success. Ambition, realistic expectations, and great togetherness. If we change one of these things, we start to struggle as a football club. That's why we have to make sure we keep these three things right, which are our terrier's identity. <laughs> now, he sounds like a walking flowchart, right? <laughs> imagine what Mourinho... Imagine how Mourinho feels about this. So... Uh, I think what we saw was it was evidence that Marwan Fellaini is now Manchester United's most important player. Because without Fellaini, they are in big, big trouble if they are going to concede the first goal in the game, which they haven't been doing. They were, they've been behind for, I think, three minutes of the season before the game against Huddersfield. So they're not usually behind. It's, they've usually been in a situation where the game is under control. But when they are behind, this is when we start to see some problems. Now, Mourinho uh, made also, like Klopp, two early substitutions, although he did wait till halftime before he took off Martial and Mata. Mata, who had made a mistake leading to the first goal, uh, and Martial, who had got booked, had kicked out, was, was, was angry, 
and Mourinho, and, and and also all of that, all of the drama Martial was involved in was happening literally ten yards in front of Mourinho. He was standing right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> I thought it was kind of a funny situation. It, Mourinho it, it is standing there in his. There are places coat. to make mistakes, and that's oh, not yeah. one of them. Yeah, right there. So so he, so Martial can hear every swear word from the bench. Right, he can hear every every Portuguese curse. Uh, and every exasperated uh, yell from Mourinho and his staff, and it's, it didn't seem to do much for his for his confidence. Anyway, he was off at half time, um, and there was another mistake as well, obviously from Lindelof. Lindelof, who who was only brought on as a substitute after Phil Jones was uh, was injured, so a, a really nightmarish. It was is like the worst nightmare from Mourinho's point of view. It's like we're losing to to a bad team. Everyone is going to uh, everyone. Everyone's going to be asking what went wrong here. There's that guy over there talking about Terrier's mentality, <laughs> right? Uh, my players are making amateurish mistakes, which are making me look bad. Uh, and you know what are we going to do? And I don't have Fellaini and Pogba. Now the second half, they they have all the ball. Um, they really should have done a bit better than they did. I mean, they, they the, the Rashford goal was the only real chance. There was a Herrera header which was saved, and there wasn't really a lot else. And what you did see was Smalling moving to play up front, and in the last 20 minutes, just long balls. Now, when you've got Fellaini, it will turn those long balls into a chance or two, at least. You know, this is the this is the advantage. You can argue that Manchester United should be able to make chances when they have all the ball against Huddersfield anyway, but they can't. If they don't, if they don't have Fellaini, they can't do it. If they have Fellaini, at least there is some way of doing it. And this was absent against uh, uh, absent against Huddersfield. Uh, without so so, it's a it's a bad situation. I mean, how long more he's going to be out for is going to I think really determine because the ne- the next if you look at the fixture this over the next little while, it's not so good. Manchester United have lost five points on City in a week, uh, and ten, five points and ten goals in a week. You know, this was. Uh, they they were like neck and neck, and now it's uh, it's kind of beginning to get away from them. Now they've got some tough games as well, like Tottenham next week. Yep. So what happened? Mourinho said that the problem was attitude. I'm not sure. I mean, what did you think of that? If I was a Manchester United fan, I'd be angry with the attitude of these players. Well, what I think of it is that I heard Andrew Herrera say the exact same thing, and I thought not for the first time. These they, two guys are saying something yeah, quite similar to each other. But I, but that was really interesting. What happened there? Because Mourinho then made a comment about Herrera in his press conference, which was not. It, it didn't sound as though he was impressed. Now I wonder who spoke. Who spoke first? I know that Mourinho has has in the past been keen on players being on message. That's one of the big themes of the the dark side of Mourinho book. Three. You're holding up three fingers here. Uh, when they won the Europa, Europa League, League. Mourinho just going around to all of the players. Remember, saying, it's three fingers, not two. Three, three titles, which was to include the Community Shield. Three titles. It's, it's the, yeah, it's it, it was the yeah yeah the, yeah three fingers, not two. Um, but uh, he he made a comment about Herrera. I wondered which one of them had had, had done the interview first because Mourinho did it did it his television interview where he said the attitude we lost because of attitude. Then Herrera appears on, or later I saw Herrera doing an interview saying, well, we didn't, we didn't have enough passion. You know, our attitude was wrong. They had more passion than us in the first half. And, you know, we need to look at why that was. And then Mourinho in his press conference says, 
I've I've heard that Ander Herrera in the flash interviews has been talking about uh, the players having a bad attitude, and I thought this is amazing. How have you already heard that? I mean, he really is. is th- there's not a lot of time involved there, so he's kind of finding out what the players are already saying. And he says, "My God, if players are saying that in interviews, then they should come here and do the press conference because I can't explain it." You know, it sounds like it sounds as though Ander Herrera knows what was going on. Well, he should be sitting here telling you what it was, and. I wondered, okay, did, did Herrera see what Mourinho said and then just parrot it, thinking, oh, that'll probably be, that'll, that's probably the wise thing to say? Because he ended up getting, I, I don't think it's worked out well for Herrera here. I think he might have been a bit too clever by half. You know what I mean? Unusually for Herrera, I, I, te- I tend to see Herrera as a guy who can judge the temperature of a room, particularly a dressing room that Jose Mourinho is in. Yeah. He knows what buttons to push. But I, I think this is a, this is the... This is the thing to remember about Jose Mourinho. He is not really predictable. You know, he will surprise you at times. I can imagine Herrera being Herrera. Suddenly, is going to be a lot less confident in terms of what he dares. What standby for his post-match interview is becoming a lot more boring. <laughs> as he's studiously <laughs> can avoids, do, Ken. Looking forward, including to it. any content whatsoever, because I'm sure he wouldn't have been expecting. That you know from from his uh, from his manager afterwards, having having basically just repeated what the manager was saying. But you know, uh, keep them guessing is is part of the uh, is part of uh, Mourinho's strategy. So again, uh, next uh, next week, huge game uh, between Tottenham, who are very in form, and Manchester United, who now have uh, three poor, well, two poor, uh, three three bad performances in a row. But you know. I was about to say three. There was the Benfica. Obviously, they won. When you win away, it's never really a bad result. But you know, um, they need to sort of up the up the game a little. I should just mention Owen that uh, Mina Raiola has been speaking about Zlatan Ibrahimovic again, um, expressing another one of these friendly Swedish newspaper interviews. And Raiola reckons that Zlatan can keep going for another five or six years minimum. Uh, I won't let him stop. He has to work for me now. I've been working for him for several years. Now it's my turn. My children are grown up, and I need money, um, etc. You know, it says it says we're going we're flipping it. The salary comes to me. He gets the commission. He will always be in my life if he's a football player, carpenter, investment banker, director, or coach. It doesn't matter. But God help the one who gets him as a coach. Um, he has returned to a subject that that came up before, which is the uh, the amazing knee of Zlatan, uh, which he says <laughs> he says uh, yes. The medical scientists want to study his knee. Dr. Freddie Fu says so. Freddie Fu is a, apparently the American uh, surgeon. Uh, he says he has never seen such a strong and pure knee after such a long career as Latin has. Imagine all the bangs he has taken. This is a professor who takes care of athletes from all over the world and works with American football teams. He says he has never seen anything like it in 40 years. It's the best knee he has ever <laughs> seen. This damage would be Himalayan to many. But to Zlatan, it is a small hill. I don't understand why Zlatan had to spend any time off the field with his knee. It does sound... such a bionic knee. He should have just been straight on, maybe a week off, and then back. It does sound like 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 Trump's doctor. Yeah, like a newt's tail. You know, like uh, it's actually self-regenerating. He'll he'll be the most, the healthiest man ever elected president. Um, Well, this is the the greatest knee. The knee still, incidentally, isn't in condition for Zlatan to actually play a game of football. We have to wait. Ah, well, you know. We have to wait. You don't want to mess with perfection. But it but it won't be long. Listen, Owen, I, we we have to we have to mention Everton. Everton. I don't know if you saw Ronald Koeman. Uh, Ronald Koeman is one of the Premier League managers who's on Twitter. You can imagine Twitter hasn't been that. It's a bit like Lovren. You know, you should just switch off comments. But um, 
They lose 5-2 to Arsenal. I mean, this was just... Alexis Sanchez in this game gave one of the best, one of the most beautiful performances. He just played beautiful. Everything he did was amazing. You know, all of his touches were just beautiful. He looked like he was kind of back to some kind of form. Ozil as well. Although always with Ozil, it's like, well, are you just beating up again on, on, a, on a team that is, is really down at the moment? You're just beating, beating them up. And Lacazette, the first time they've played together, doing very well. And, the, you know, the hint is, the, or the, the chances there maybe for Arsenal to kind of resurrect the season, if you do want to take the pressure off, a good way to do it is just make a complete hames at the start of the season, which Arsenal have done. And yet, so nobody expects anything from them now. And they're actually not suddenly... Uh, don't, Ken, come on, don't. Not badly placed. Don't. What? Just the way you're talking there. <laughs> I mean, haven't we, haven't we read this particular tale before? Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm talking... What, what I'm saying here is... The, I think the the only realistic ambition for Arsenal at this at this point is qualify for the Champions League. Which remember they didn't do last season, so it would be an improvement if they managed to do that. And you know they've lost three times, but they're still level on points with Chelsea, who are, who are fourth. Arsenal are fifth on goal difference. So you know, considering that this has been a there have been some really disastrous moments, they're doing okay. It's turning. It's turning, blood. <laughs> Well, you know, okay, the, and, and they've got this new or this new combination that was the first time it's been used. They 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 win five two at Goodison, which is you know a decent result. Now, Ron Koeman, for some reason decides to tweet the start. The start was okay, but it was impossible to get a result after one two down and the red card. Hashtag Everton, hashtag EFC. And for some reason, he attaches a picture of himself looking very thoughtful <laughs> on the sideline, as though he's just in the process of of thinking, no, it's impossible for us to get a result now, <laughs> given the situation. We're in. Of course, the Everton fans explode in outrage because, uh, you know, being, being a goal down and a man down didn't stop Limassol. <laughs> Such a weird photo. Ah, the photo is hilarious. Getting yeah. a result. It didn't stop Man City. Man City are pretty good. Getting, you know, getting a draw against Everton just because they were a man down and a goal down. So it's not impossible, Everton fans pointing out. But, but it's just been such an awful, awful week for Everton. I mean, it, it seems that everyone has concluded Koeman is dead. Uh, you know, as a, as a manager, his future at Everton is, is finished. And yet, he's still there. Why is this? Is it a case of... We've, the manager's contract is so long and so rich that we really have to show a lot of faith in him at this point because, you know, moving him on at this point is simply kind of a financial blow. We're not really equipped to take having spent so much money on players that he wanted us to sign. Um, but even worse, there was this, there was this horrible <laughs> embarrassment of the fan, the Everton fan, against Leon on Thursday, slapping a Leon player while holding his son, his young son in his left arm as he reaches out to slap Leon player who's involved in a brawl with Everton players by the advertising hoardings. I mean, this is just so embarrassing. Also, r- running over to the scene, it wasn't, uh, I, I know this, if, even if it was a different scenario, it's not great either, but it's not even as though he's just standing there and this thing happens directly and there's some sort of self-defense. He came running from a few feet away to come down and have a say, I guess. Yeah, well, he... Um, he gave an interview to the Sunday People. I mean, he said, uh, I was out of the police station inside half an hour with my solicitor. I'm ashamed of what I've done. I already know. I'm not a fucking dickhead. Um, this was him saying he, he knew that it was wrong to to hit, hit a man as, as he had a, his own child in his arms. I mean, hit me now with the child in my arms is a kind of a cliche about like, uh, 
you know, we we know what it means. Um, <laughs> but this is kind of a new one. Uh, but he said uh, he blamed the players for setting a bad example. The players were already swinging their arms and hitting each other. So he kind of felt as though he was compelled to copy them. And he said, uh, I put myself and my son in a dangerous position by taking my eye off the ball and getting carried forward with other fans. Okay, Before I know it, I was through the gate, which should have been shut. Everton should have provided adequate security, <laughs> he said. I knew I'd put myself in a dangerous position. It wasn't intentional, but I'd been too concentrated on screaming abuse at the players for being shit. And before I knew it, I was led down there. Then it was like, fucking hell, what's going on? And it looks the way it looks. <laughs> so, so now he's now he's worried. Uh, That's a brilliant piece of sort of uh, blame shifting. But then yeah. he admits to like half of the stuff, and then the other half though is completely beyond his control. He compares himself to Eric Cantona. Uh, Cantona ran off the pitch, gave a fan a kung fu kick, and I'm the worst thing in football. Are they deluded? <laughs> Says the fan who has now been banned oh, by everyone. Someone's deluded, all right. It doesn't look the best on video, but I know what happened uh, and what I intend to do. That's why I'm so aggrieved. Um, so there you go. Um, uh, just, a, just a really horrible week. And then to lose 5-2. Even when they scored a goal later on, it was like, oh, there's the consolation goal. Alexis Sanchez then ran past five players and made it 5-2. It was just, this is... And, and, it, and it was interesting that after the goal... After that goal went in and the final whistle went, there was barely even any booing. It was just like, oh my God, this is, we can't even, we don't have the energy to boo. It was a bit like the, it wasn't quite like, I don't know if you saw any PSG Marseille, but it was, that was amazing as well. I mean, it's not like I was watching nothing, but I find myself talking about PSG all the time and I'm annoyed with the way they've managed to hook me in by having Neymar and Mbappe and this drama with Cavani. And I'm kind of like, oh God, I have to watch this now. But I'm following it, obviously. Cavani, Neymar sent off. He scored, but he was sent off uh, losing 2-1 in the last few minutes. Uh, sent off for, like, retaliation. Uh, someone kicked him and he got up and sort of pushed them and they fell down dramatically. And he, oh, it's so injustice. Then Cavani scores an injury time, free kick, equaliser. But this is at the Velodrome in Marseille. And they, they thought they are going to beat PSG 2-1. This horrible monster has come to our uh, place and we've slaughtered them and this is hilarious. And the sound when Cavani shot hits that hits the net, like sixty thousand people in this huge cavernous stadium, all of them going nuts, and it's just such an amazing. It's like all the air has been sucked out of the stadium. It's just like you never see such a good goal to such silence. Uh, Goodison Park, I suppose, is also a bit like that. That's it for today's report on sports. City dog at his home at Motherwell. You know what I mean? Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got my Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just so it's off, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight, you don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans, just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the gun is book a record stuff. Get a grab! He's your biggest fool. Our Jonathan Wilson and Daniel Story are on hand now to talk a little bit more about Tottenham Liverpool, guys. And 
I mean, everybody, including ourselves so far, have been focusing on Liverpool's mistakes. And we will do so again with you in just a few minutes' time. But do you think that the that analysis has taken away a little bit from the credit that Spurs should be getting? Jonathan, I'll start with you for what was a pretty ri- ridiculous, devastating, ridiculously devastating attacking performance. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a great attacking performance. Um, I thought Pochettino was interesting afterwards that he seemed much, much more pleased with the first half than the second. And there was a little bit of me in the second half. I mean, the game was won, so I, you know, in a sense, it doesn't really matter. But I did sort of think they have gone a bit loose here. And had it been, say, 3-1, not 4-1, yeah, Liverpool did have enough chances in the second half to, to have got back into it. So I don't think it was, a, it was an overwhelmingly brilliant first performance. But from an attacking point of view in the first half, yeah, it was overwhelming and, and it was superb. And the link-up between Kane and Son, uh, it worked really well. And I think what that really shows is the options Pochettino has. That he, you know, he, he's able to change formation and you know, same formation as he played on Tuesday. But then he played it with Juventus as, as the other striker and was hitting the ball long, Juventus holding the ball up. And here, you know, with Son playing the ball in behind Liverpool defence. So they, you know, they, they can play either way. And so I think there's a real sense now, and, and Pochettino has been very relaxed, I think notably relaxed over the last week or so. The sense I think with him that he sort of feels he's got lots of different cards he can play in lots, lots of different situations. That the squad is is both deep and varied. Yeah, Daniel, I'm not surprised he's relaxed with his team performing like they were yesterday. I mean, at the end of last, say the last calendar year, you might have put these two clubs neck and neck. Can we say decisively now that Tottenham are in in, in a vastly different space than Liverpool are? Yeah, I think we can. I mean, they're the only team that's finished in the top three in the last two completed seasons. They're the only team that have really fought title challenges against both Leicester and Chelsea, although the kind of ringing joke is that they finished third in a two-horse race. Um, But I think it's very easy to forget where um, Tottenham and Pochettino have come from um, because we kind of live in this immediate world where if you're involved in a title race and you don't win the title it's you know it's a disappointment it's a failure of course it was disappointed to not win one of those titles but the season when Pochettino joined that club they finished three points behind Everton so they've, they've moved far beyond that level of clubs and as you say they've now kind of kicked on again and have moved ahead of Arsenal and Liverpool um, I think as Jonathan says the really interesting thing about Pochettino and the thing he'll be most pleased of is it seems like whichever for you know whichever formation he picks and whichever combination of players in partnership he picks it looks like they've been doing it for weeks which speaks volumes about what he's doing on the training ground you know as, as Jonathan said picked Kane and Lorente against Real Madrid and they you know they, they actually worked really well together he picks Son and Kane against Liverpool and again that clicks he picks Aurier at left wing back and he looks almost better there than he has on the right he picks Ali and Eriksen slightly deeper as a midfield with Winks, and, and again that works. You know, yesterday they 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 hammered Liverpool without a midfield of with without Dia, without Dembele, uh, without Sissoko, without Wanyama, and yet they still dominated a, a basically a first choice Liverpool midfield. What do you put that down to, Jonathan? I mean, they've got they have got about two thirds of the resources available to Liverpool if you look at it in financial terms. Um, and I think the gap in terms of what they actually pay the squad is even bigger. It's more like half Tottenham squad around about half the money Liverpool squad. So far inferior resources. How you know what's made the difference this year? How have they managed to do so much more with so much less? Well, I think it's got it's, you know it's got to be work on the training ground. Um, I mean, and and that really I think paints Klopp in quite a bad light that the defensive issues Liverpool have had are the same defensive issues they had two years ago. Nothing's changed there. Um, and you know we 
saw that most obviously with Lovren. But I actually felt a lot of sympathy for Lovren, not just because he had a, had a horrible game, but um, yeah, I, I think he sort of expressed, maybe not to the English media, but perhaps back at home in, in, in Croatia, he's expressed sort of a frustration that he doesn't get the the protection that he thinks centre-back should get. Because, you know, he had Stephen Gerrard in front of him and now he has Jordan Henderson in front of him. Who, in a sense, are uh, you know, similar type of players, you know, hard-running players who can you know, pass that Henderson played for the for Salah's goal. Was, yeah, great pass yesterday. You know, it's not he's a bad footballer. I'm just not sure he's necessarily suited to that role of sitting in front of the back, back, sitting in front of the back four. And Neil Lofton has become almost a joke, but he was a good defender at Southampton. It's something at Liverpool that's made him and you know a whole list of other defenders look poor. So I think you've got to give Pochettino great credit for the work he does on the training ground. And I think enormous credit for bringing through young players. Uh, maybe young players are more malleable. Maybe young players are more inclined to listen to a coach. They don't sort of think that they have the experience to to do it themselves. Um, and yeah, there's a possibility that the, the team England start with in the World Cup next summer will have five Tottenham players plus Kyle Walker, who you know was developed at Tottenham. So I, I think what Pochettino has done with with kids suggests maybe how other top sides. Uh, and missing out by constantly loaning kids out and not giving them a chance. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned England there, Jonathan. I wonder, Daniel, if if you have any thoughts about Harry Kane. I mean, he's he's the top English player at the moment, I think, um, and he's going to be, I suppose, the central figure in the England team that goes to the World Cup. Um, Arsene Wenger did say a while back, uh, I, I, I forget what he was trying to make an excuse for at the time, but he <laughs> claimed that Europe doesn't produce centre forwards anymore. Uh, and this was before, I suppose, Kylian Mbappe merged in Wenger's own country. But maybe Brexit Britain, in the form of Harry Kane, is producing centre forwards again. I mean, this guy is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, there is a slightly, um, you know, Spurs fans again chanted as they they always will do. While Kane's in form, the sort of one season wonder, sarcastic chant. But there is a kind of slightly ethereal, mystical element to Kane's rise, and that no one's quite sure. There's lots of pieces been written about. His, you know, his his development and his, his very rapid rise at Tottenham. But you speak to you speak to his teammates at, at Millwall and Leighton Orient, and they didn't see this coming either. Uh, and there are there are coaches within Spurs and, and at those two clubs who didn't see this coming. So there's a slightly mystical rise to it, which is why I think some people understandably think that he could fall away just as quickly as he's risen. But there's no doubt that he is, along with Cristiano Ronaldo and Anderson Cavani, that you know one of the best out-and-out centre-forwards in Europe at the moment. Um, whether that translates to England is a, is, a, is a pretty huge if. I think we it's very difficult to um, overstate just how much po- difference Pochettino makes on those players, not just you know on their general form, but on a match-by-match basis in terms of motivation and working on the training ground. And, and I think it would be very optimistic to assess that Gareth Southgate and the England coaches will do the same um, with him and with, with England's players. And it's a very different squad. It's a very it's a squad that has a very different mentality of um, Spurs tend to play up to the occasion and England tend to play down to it. Um, so I, I think England fans will be very excited by Kane, but we, we saw in Euro 2016 that a brilliant centre forward does not necessarily a brilliant team make. Why should that be the case, so Jonathan? I mean, he if, if, as you mentioned, he might be playing with five or four Tottenham teammates, you know, why should Harry Kane shrivel again on the big I mean it, it doesn't seem to be a, a general feature of his personality I know I mean it's not referred to he was terrible in Euro 2016 uh, like a lot of other English players but I don't understand why this should keep happening 
I mean, that's the question that's foxed English football for 51 years now. He's a bit different, yeah. though. I, I, I honestly think he's a bit different. Like, say, for instance, remember the way that Spain always used to be a joke in international football? And it was like, oh, the Spanish mentality, and oh, who who are we even? And there's players from everywhere, and we we don't like each other. And the fact was, they just never had players of the quality that they sent to Euro 2008. When they fi- when they finally sent the best team in the tournament, they won the tournament. Now, I'm not suggesting England are the best team in the tournament, but Harry Kane is, I think, a level above the sort of English players that we've seen do well in the league and then fail well, in the Wayne Rooney? I'm sorry, Wayne Rooney didn't fail at international football, but he did fail at a lot of major tournaments. He he, he did he, he failed he did he did fail at a lot of tournaments. He did he did great in one. It wasn't the tournament thing necessarily. There was a few unlucky things that happened with Rooney. You know, let's let's not talk about Rooney. He doesn't fit my narrative here. What I'm saying is that I, <laughs> sorry, I, Ken, continue, please. I, I just think that Harry Kane is is a little bit better than that. I think this is one of the best players in the world. I don't, I don't see why he should succumb to this English mediocrity disease. Well, I mean, I think there's two slightly separate issues. I mean, first of all, I'm not sure I agree with you about Spain. I think they had you know, a really good team um, in, the, in the 80s and didn't perform. But that's a totally different issue. We'll leave that aside. Um, I, okay, why why is it different playing for England and playing for Tottenham, even if you have five slash six players the same? Because Pochettino clearly does very specific tactical drills with players to prepare them for individual games. So the interplay between Kane and Son yesterday was clearly something that had been worked on. You know, they knew exactly where each other were moving. The the goal that Son scored, you know, you could you could almost see it unfolding sort of 10, 15 seconds before it happened. They they, they knew exactly where you know the, the ball was going. They knew exactly where to make those runs. And I, I think with with England that just that just doesn't happen. I mean partly it's an issue of time. That's why international football generally is not as good as club football. Um but it, it also I think there's a inherent conservatism certainly with with England but I think also other national teams that coaches don't want to be embarrassed you know they can sort of deal with going home after uh, you know 1-0 win a couple of draws and then you lose on penalties in the quarter final what they can't deal with is getting home 4-1 by Germany you know, that that's the embarrassment um and, and so the when you when you are drilling players tendency is get the defense right rather than focusing on the you know, the sort of um so pre-packaged attacking moves, and I think that really is sort of character, you know, something that characterises modern football. And it's something that Ed Nazar talked about very eloquently last season when he was asked what's the difference between Conte and Mourinho. He said, "Well, Mourinho leaves forwards to to improvise. You know, he sorts out the defence. Why Conte to him is a level above is that Conte works on these. I mean, sort of not not robotic moves, but sort of um, an idea of where you should be should be running, where you should be passing the ball, and then." You sort of adapt that to the situation, like, you know, in the same way a chess grandmaster would have an idea of of gambits and would adapt to the situation. And I think that you know Germany at their best do that. Spain at their best do that. Italy under Conte certainly did that. I don't know, just for some reason, it, it, the, the, the conservatism of getting the defence right seems to dominate the English mentality. Daniel, I think, I yes, think as well. Um, sorry, I was going to say. I think as well. England, one thing England miss, you know, we always talk about for every major tournament where England are lacking. And two years ago, it was central defenders. And then it was when, before Kane, it was we're missing a great striker. But the one thing this team is clearly missing is a is a creator, is a Christian Eriksen or a David Silver, is that player to pick that pass. We've got we've got the kind of we've got the speed of Rashford and we've, and we've got the sort of intricacy and the skill of, of Deli Ali. And we've got the, the, the world-class finishing of Harry Kane, but we haven't got that player to pick the lock, to play that pass that, that, sends, Eric, that sends Kane away. And if you look at 
you know, look at the goals that Ericsson has assisted for Kane. That, that that's clearly a gap in the England team, and it's 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 not even a gap that we've got, you know, backup options or Plan B options for. It, it's it's a complete dearth in English football at the moment because those are the players that we look abroad to buy because they're better than anything we've got. Um, which is why we bring in the David Silver and he looks magnificent, and Christian Eriksen quickly looks magnificent as well, and why Paul Pogba is is in you know completely influential for Manchester United because he can pick that pass, and I think our lack of creator kind of means that Kane has to almost create his chances himself for England quite a lot. You, you see the number of times he picks up the ball 30, 40 yards out and even wide in the pitch and kind of has to dribble past two players and then shoot from 25 yards rather than having that first touch shot that Ericsson might provide him with. Daniel, let's talk Liverpool. Do you think you're going to through his players under the bus a little bit after the match? I think in, yeah, in a general sense, yeah, in the... <laughs> he must accept some culpability for that. But I think privately, he, he probably would accept some culp- culpability for that. To be honest now, he has very little choice. As Jonathan says, he's been there two years and the defending is pretty much the same. It, it's, I think it's difficult to say that he threw Lovren under the bus because we ask managers to make brutal decisions. We ask them to make decisions that players might not necessarily like. But sure, but even he, even, even after the game, and he, when he talks about, oh, if, if I was out there in trainers, that first goal wouldn't have happened. It's he, he seems to, I think he sometimes maybe gets away with these sort of comments because of the charisma and the way he delivers these lines. But uh, maybe coming from another manager's mouth, you think, well, geez, that's kind of fairly laying the blame at the at the, the door of Lovren and the other defenders. Yeah, he's not a manager that he, he's he's kind of the anti-Mourinho and he's not a siege mentality manager. He's prepared to say what he thinks. And you're right, we kind of see Klopp as this, uh, oh, he's quite goofy, he's very charismatic, he makes funny comments. But those sort of comments will be hurtful to Liverpool players. That said, there isn't a Liverpool defender or a member of Liverpool's back five yesterday that can argue those comments. No. They were wretched in the first half and they lost the game in the first half because of being wretched defensively. And then if they hadn't done that enough... Simon Mignolet, you know, rubber stamped that with with a dreadful mistake for the fourth goal. So I don't think any Liverpool fan could argue with it. Um, whether those comments should be saved for private and should be saved for the training ground is a different matter. But I suspect Klopp's pretty sick of of telling his players the same thing and and telling them one thing and then watching them go out and and do something very different. And he must know that the pressure in the buck is always going to be passed to him. And he knows that the pressure is growing on, on his side's defence. And if he cannot organise one in the next year, then his job is going to be pretty obviously called into question. So I can see why he's frustrated. But yeah, you could perhaps argue that he shouldn't be, be throwing them under the bus like that. But he's seen it time and time again. What you know? What, what does he have to say to make them change? Yeah, I mean, why do you, why do you think they don't seem to learn, Jonathan? There's a question of... They are, they're trying to do, or they are doing what they're told, but there are actually structural problems with the way that they're set up, which go beyond, you know, these are not, these players are not exactly great players. You know, Mignon is always going to make a mistake. Lovren is, is a kind of a, the sort of player who panics a little bit uh, from time to time. Um, when you were watching them yesterday, did you think, well, you know, there is something unstable about this. I mean, you've, you've already alluded to, to things that Lovren has said on international duty, uh, about not getting protection, but in a way, I I, I also think that what he says about painters and so on reminds me a bit of Daniel Agger, who was a player who Liverpool chewed up and and spat out in in somewhat wrecked form after he you know he was struggling with injuries, taking loads of painkillers, um, you know, just got the reputation of being injury prone and eventually became depressed and had to leave. I mean, a pretty sad story, but the way things are going for Lovren, 
I I wonder if he's gonna if he's gonna become a victim of the same process. Yeah, I mean, I actually think Klopp's comments yesterday were, were a pretty significant step. Um, well, I, I don't but, see how he can play yeah, for him I, again. I understand why he's frustrated, but to just I mean, what was interesting as well was. His TV interview, he seemed to be talking about the second goal when he said if he was on the pitch. In I, I actually watched it back. I actually watched it back to, to make sure because I thought the same thing at first, but it, he was actually talking about the first goal. And okay. it's he definitely was talking about the first goal when he spoke to, to Ross the written press. In the press conference, um, yeah. He, he, it was as though he was making it, it was as though he was making it clear. He, he actually said, I've already said, and, I, and he mentioned the first goal, but it was when I watched it back, he, he was actually speaking about the first goal both times. It wasn't the one that Lovren missed. He was saying basically they should have cleared it before the ball was chipped over. You know that Lovren obviously missed the, the chip that Harry Kane got onto, but he was saying that someone basically should have booted it away. If I'd been there, even I would have been able to boot it away. Yeah, but I mean, whichever goal he's talking about, I think to in in the you know in the, in the wider context of what he was saying in that um, written press conference, um, it was the first time I've really seen him sort of say, "Well, you know, what am I meant to do? I'm trading them properly," and it actually reminded me. I mean, you know, I take Daniel's point that he, you know, he's sort of in many ways the anti-Mourinho, but it reminded me a lot of Mourinho after that Leicester game at Chelsea, his final game, when he sort of said, "Look, I told them how Leicester would score; they only have four ways of attacking, and they scored from three of them." And it reminded me of that. It's sort of he's sort of stepping back and saying, "This isn't my fault." Now, you obviously do get games when there's an individual error, and it's sort of inexplicable. So, you know, for instance, um, another, it doesn't matter if you remember the goal or not, but. Uh, Toby Alderweireld, who's been you know, the, one of the best, if not the best, defender, central defender in the Premier League over the last two seasons, made an absolutely awful mistake playing for Belgium against Bosnia. An inexplicable mistake. A mistake as bad as Lovren's on the second goal. And you sort of thought, well, you know, Roberto Martinez gets loads of stick for not being able to organise defence, but that's actually not his fault. That's just something that, yeah, it's it's beyond explanation. It's a it's a complete sort of fade out in in the defender's brain. So that can happen. And if it happens once, you sort of shrug your shoulders and move on. But with Liverpool, it seems to happen all the time. So whether the issue is structural or mental or it's something about the environment at Liverpool that causes defenders to make those mistakes, the fact is they are making them, and that comes back to Klopp. So I, you know, I, I think perhaps the, the, those defenders are, are more anxious because they're not getting the protection from the midfield, that they're constantly sort of panicking about you know, what if a defender gets a run on us and we're left isolated and the attackers coming at pace? What can we do? Um, you know, maybe that's creating doubt. But the, you know, the simple fact is they keep on making these mistakes, and just to say, oh, they're individual mistakes, isn't good enough. It's to do with the, the you know the culture that has been created at the club, and that ultimately comes down to the manager. Just on the Lovren case in particular, Diana, this uh, the the painkiller issue. Like this is something he said a few weeks ago. For, uh, for the first time anyway to a Croatian paper I have problems with my whole body for the last two weeks my back now I've hurt my Achilles tendon I'm taking pills so I can play five before every game I play but I cannot train that's why I skip matches against Manchester City and Burnley that was a few weeks ago is there not a, none of us are doctors here but are there not other courses available to a player suffering that badly as in resting or uh, maybe an operation if necessary it seems like quite an excessive amount of painkillers to be taking popping five pills before every match is to get out yeah, of the field. Absolutely, and, and that's where Klopp really does take the blame because it's not that just that his defenders are playing badly, it's that there are no replacements for those defenders and there are no backup options who are considered better. Um, effectively, 
very simplistic situation, but effectively Klopp had 35 million to spend at the end of the summer transfer window. And his options were either buying a, a first choice goalkeeper who he, who, and he's seen that at Manchester City and at Tottenham at Manchester United, that new goalkeepers can breathe confidence into a defence. He had an option to buy a right back because Nathaniel Klein got injured in May and yet it was only really came to light how serious his injury was when he was left out of the Champions League squad in August and they are hoping to have him back in December. But that's a seven-month injury. He could have bought a centre-back and although he didn't, he wanted Mr Wright, Virgil van Dijk, he could have bought Mr Wright now and, and bought a kind of a make-do option but one that would also be far better than Claven and Lovren anyway so would form part of a squad even when even even when Van Dijk arrived, or he could have bought a backup central midfielder slash wide midfielder who had nine months left on his contract and cost them 35 million. And he went for option D. And that is the huge mistake here, because you're right. If if when Lovren came off yesterday, even if he had started with his injections and played that badly, and I suspect if they'd have bought a replacement, he wouldn't have played. But if he had played and been brought off after 31 minutes, they wouldn't have moved Joe Gomez centre-back and played Emre Chan at right-back. And that Kind of situation didn't work either. They would have bought on a centre back for a centre back and done, done what should happen. Their, their central defensive options are miserable, quite frankly. Yeah. And it, it's not just that Dejan Lovren is not good enough for purpose, and I don't necessarily think he is for a side that wants to play in the Champions League regularly. It's as you say that he's also hamstrung by these defensive problems. So when you, when Klopp said, "Oh, I'm, I'm happy with my central defensive options," and those options were Lovren, Matip, who I think is. You know, I think we can all agree is a, is a good defender. 20-year-old Joe Gomez, who are then going to have to play at right-back, and Ragnar Klavan, who you clearly don't really want to play at all, then it invites criticism when that plan goes wrong. And, and these are very much chickens coming home to roost, I think. Absolutely, yeah. It's a bit of a mess. All right, listen, Daniel Story, Jonathan Wilson. Brilliant. Thanks a million. Cheers, thanks. Thank you. I'm having a buzz flounder now. Anyone want to not give me a shell? Six million years to die. Choose one. I don't like the name because, you know, I, I actually think he's a very good writer. Mm. But it, it was a daft. This was a dig at football people who know the game. Using statistics uh, to try and undermine people who have eyes, ears and common sense. What I'm saying is that sometimes the eyes and ears mislead you. The ears, particularly if it's Paul Merson's organism, might mislead you. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls in the stones. Have a proper debate. I'd love to debate him. You could sell tickets for that. All I have to back it up are facts. All I have to back it up is the factual record of what what took place. Bring it on. This was a dig at football people who know the game. He's the one who's on the attack. Don't forget. Hmm. And has been for some time without naming people. I think they call that on a verbal broadside. You've been on the attack, Ken, but you don't have... You just don't have what it takes to name names. You don't have the balls, Ken. You don't have the stones. <laughs> <laughs> don't have the balls. Yeah, I don't want to put them down. But they seem to want to prove that you don't need to know anything about football to write about it. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls, Ken. You know the stones. One team we haven't mentioned yet today, I don't think. Can we just touch on them before we go? Are the champions-elect Manchester City. (laughs) You are now suddenly five points clear and looking as unstoppable as as ever. Yeah, and I mean, they've they've got results against teams that, you know, other teams have struggled against. I mean, we saw Chelsea the other day 
4-2 against Watford, who also beat Arsenal and drew 3-3 with Liverpool. 6-0 was City's result against them. You know, they obviously beat Liverpool 5-0. Uh, Crystal Palace beat Chelsea the other day. City beat them 5 eight. Okay, you know, Palace. Man, uh, Man United drew 2 all with Stoke. 7-2, Man City against Stoke. 30, 32 goals in nine games. Burnley, Burnley um, again, you know, had a, had a good result at Anfield. They beat Chelsea 3-0 yesterday, Man City. And De Bruyne just, once again, you know, unstoppable. I mean, did you, did you see his setup for Leroy Sané? I mean, that was ridiculous. You know, he just hit the ball so early. He's true, and there's one defender kind of between him and Sonny who's trying to cover it. Yeah, there's a parabola that you expect the ball to go on, but it goes on a very different route Yeah, Sonny. He, he just, he, it was so close to the player in the middle, but he whipped it so fast that it was kind of past this player before he had the chance to react. You know, m- most players, I think, would have taken it on and seen if they could maybe draw that defender over towards them a bit before they played in... Uh, Sane, or maybe the defender's going to stay with Sane and you can score yourself. De Bruyne, just instant decision. He can't get this. Sure, it's six inches from his foot, but that's not going to be a problem. I've done the calculations. He can't get this. And, um, yeah, it's it's incredible what they're doing. I mean, they've, it's got to the point where you're sort of hoping that someone will be able to take a couple of points off. There is a big chance it could be a blowout. We're like getting, a really big chance. There. We are getting this, um, getting to this point where it's the, the Guardiola... The, the effect that Guardiola has in the league where everyone starts moaning that, oh, this league is uncompetitive now. <laughs> you know, you've ruined our league. Um, but at the moment, it's, it's looking so people are going to have a hard time keeping up. Okay, we'll see you in the World Service if you're signed up. Big week coming up. Thanks very much for the time being. Thanks, Kent. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kent. Thanks, Thank you, Kira. Thanks, guys. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmakker.